dedicated, obsessed, focused. This is the Masters of Fitness Podcast. Welcome, welcome to the Masters of Fitness Podcast. And today we have a, a special show for you guys. We have Dr. Kenneth Wilgers, who's going to come on and discuss some things associated with uh, coronavirus and how your current health state kind of affects that and talk about a little bit about some uh, hormone replacement therapy as me and Thad kind of spoke about that a little bit on our, uh, on Tyler Knows Everything podcast. So, hey, Thad, what you got going on today, man? How's everything doing? Going good? Oh, yeah. Everything's going real good. <clears throat> good. I guess good as can be expected, you know, with all this stuff going on. Hey, man, that's all right. Everything's making it. Everybody's making it good. So we have up yep. to our uh, 700, 700 likes now on our uh, Facebook page. So that's yeah. a good thing. Videos are doing good. Thank you guys again for helping us reach over so with 12,000 views from my last two videos. So without you guys out there listening to us, watching us, supporting the show, you help us uh, helping us grow a lot during these uh, during these times. And, you know, we appreciate and we enjoy being here, giving you guys some content to listen to and uh, hopefully educate you guys a little bit while you're on your fitness journey. So without further ado, we're going to, uh, I know y'all don't want to hear us talking all night long. Y'all want the uh, experts in here to talk about the hot topic. So without further ado, we'll bring Dr. Uh, Dr. Kenneth Wilgers on. And must I add that I learned this other day that he's a fellow uh, Bearcat alum. So all you Bearcats out there, give this guy a big round of applause. So. Welcome to the show, Dr. Wilgers. How you doing today? Good, how are you? Good, 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 good. Dad, where you go? You jumped out. Oh, there you go. I don't know what happened. So I'm here. here. So, Dr. Wilgers, uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, man. I have down here that you're an uh, author, the doctor, international speaker, motivational speaker, kind of all the above, right? Yeah, I kind of fell into that all um, kind of by accident. Um, uh, I went to Sam Houston, as you said. Uh, my degree is in chemistry with an emphasis in biochemistry. Um, went to medical school in Galveston, um, did my residency through UTMB um, in family medicine, and I've been in private practice here for about 20 years. About 10 years ago, I kind of got tired of seeing people in the clinic and prescribing medicines and watching them continue to get sick and die. And uh, my wife, who's a pharmacist, texted me one day and said, are you checking vitamin D on your patients? Hmm. And I said, I replied, why would I do that? <laughs> and she sent me a research study. And, it, and then the next one was magnesium. And then it was all downhill from there. And um, I really got into, you know, functional medicine, supplementation, diet, um, started looking at biomedical hormone replacement. Um, and then I went through... Um, an organization called um, WorldLink Medical and did a, a very intense um, certification in uh, bioidentical hormones. And from there, um, my mentor, Dr. Neil Ruzier, who owns WorldLink Medical, um, has started bringing me along to help speak with him. And through that, I've gotten other speaking engagements. Um, I was supposed to be speaking at an international functional medicine conference in Mexico City in June. That got put back to September because of this dang virus. Yes. Um, I've written a couple of papers on um, the coronavirus recently. Um, I'm in, about to publish another one next week. So um, ooh, ooh. I kind of just fell into it because of interest and because of boredom with standard medicine. And this, uh, right. you know, this stuff works a lot better. 
Cool, cool. So first off, let's sit on this uh since let's sit on a hot topic that everybody that's going around now, the coronavirus. How and I think we kind of asked this question kind of a little bit beforehand. So how does your kind of your current health state does that kind of if it's bad, would that exacerbate your chances of getting the virus? Or once you get it, does that make it worse because of your health? How does that play into this whole realm of things? So let me um let me kind of do a you know kind of a background on this virus. Okay. Um, and that'll really help explain um, the answer to your question. This coronavirus is completely unique. It's nothing like the SARS virus of 2003. It's nothing like the MERS virus that was in the Mediterranean. It's not a flu virus. Um, this is a completely unique virus. And what makes it unique is uh, all viruses, and you've seen pictures of this on the internet. You know, it's called a coronavirus because it looks like yeah. it's got a crown with all the little spikes coming up from yeah. it. And the spike proteins on this virus contain something called furin cleavage sites, which are completely unique. There's no HIV has them, but there's never been a re another respiratory virus. I think H1N1 did, but none of the other coronaviruses have had these. And what makes that important is all viruses have to be activated when they before they can inf infect a cell. And every cell in the human body has enzymes called furin enzymes. Mm -hmm. and these furin enzymes activate the virus. So every single cell in the human body activates this virus. Really? Um, most cells in the human body have ACE2 receptors, but mostly in the cardiovascular system. And we've all heard about ACE2 receptors. You know, everybody who didn't know what that was two months ago, that when they know what it is now. Hmm. Um, but pretty much the heart, lungs, central nervous system, kidneys all have ACE2 receptors. And so when the when this virus lands on the cell, it's activated by the furin enzymes, and then it enters the cell through the ACE2 receptors. And it, it primarily causes something called ARDS, Adult Respiratory Distress Syndrome. Mm -hmm. When I was in med school 25 years ago, you know, we pretty much knew if you got ARDS, the mortality rate was 100%. Really? It was at least 70%, but the 30% that might live through it were in spectacular health. And so most people died with ARDS. And this virus, the way it it um, attacks the cell, the way it replicates inside the cell, it's almost as if it. And and I'm not going to get into politics on this, but it's almost as if somebody went, "Hey, let's make a virus that, when it lands on you, it's going to cause ARDS and kill you," because that's what it does. That's its target from the beginning, huh. and so it causes an overdrive of the inflammatory system in the lungs that causes the lungs to fill up with fluid causes inflammation, destroys the type 2 alveolar cells in the lungs, and pretty much causes lung destruction from day one. Um, now, to answer your question, every person that I've been aware of that has done very poorly, very quickly with this virus, um, every single one of them had underlying insulin resistance. They were overweight, Really? Um, they were borderline diabetic, they had high blood pressure, they had high cholesterol, they were, you know, basically the metabolic syndrome was what we used to call it. Mm -hmm. And these people that are overweight will die in three to five days when they get this virus because really? their body can't handle it. I have, on the other side, seen two of the healthiest 50-something patients I've ever known, people that I've ever known. Mm -hmm. um, really take a hard hit with this virus and live through it, but did not do well while they were sick with it. Mm -hmm. um, so it really can take down healthy people, but they typically live. Um, if you're unhealthy, uh, it hits you like a ton of bricks. 
And, um, but then on the flip side, you know, and there may be a genetic component component we find at some point, but some people get it, they cough, they run a little fever, they have a headache and seven days later, they're perfectly fine. And mm -hmm. so, uh, we still don't know the difference, what the main difference is between those people and everybody else. Um, but yes, if you're unhealthy and you're overweight and you have insulin resistance, um, it's going to be a heck of a ride. Well, um, <clears throat> I've heard or, or read on some things about how um, it all has to do with how your your um, your your system reacts to the to the virus those first few days. Um, I've heard that you know some people, like you said, some people can just get by, and then other ones, your their system just reacts to it, and it just it just attacks them right? and it can't handle it. And I'm going to get, you know, I don't want to get into too much detail with this. Um, although I have done this, but, um, you know, there's a couple of things that are really, really, really important with this. And you're not hearing any of this from the FDA. You're not hearing it from the CDC. You're not hearing it from anybody who's, you know, from any university or any, you know, high level hospital doctor. But when you look at the physiology of this virus, um, there are a couple of things that really work extremely well, and this may have a lot to do with the people that, that did very well with this, but we now know that this virus, the, infl the inflammatory cascade of this virus, burns up nitric oxide, vitamin C, selenium, zinc, it burns them like it's burning a fire. And, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is you know, they say, oh, vitamin C for a cold. Yeah. Well, what happens if you take too much vitamin C? Everybody's done it. You know, if you take too much vitamin C, you're going to get diarrhea. Most people can only handle about 4,000 milligrams to 6,000 milligrams of vitamin C a day. Hmm. Some of the studies on these patients, when they get this virus, they're giving them 20,000, 30,000, 50,000, up to 100,000 um, um, milligrams of vitamin C daily, and they're tolerating it because their body's burning it mm -hmm. and so the high dose c we saw that in south korea high dose c high dose vitamin d um you know they're really turning people around in a day or two with that so some of these healthier individuals may be supplementing some of those things already you know, almost, almost everybody it's is at, at some you know in in some way or or form vitamin c deficient they're zinc deficient everybody's vitamin d deficient and the people who are supplementing ahead of time may be the ones that are doing better. Hmm. But, um, you know, the, all of those things are extremely important. Um, and I can give you all some references to post later on some of the studies showing how those things work. Oh, yeah. But yeah the supplementation may be the key in those people. And what about um, <clears throat> things I've read about, uh, say, like Cialis and things like that being... Uh, I thought that was funny. I was on another podcast yesterday, and the comment I made on that was it just gives you a head start on rigor mortis. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you know, and I tell patients this, that I probably told you this. Um, you know, one of the things I try to do is if I can get a middle-aged guy on daily Cialis, I do it. Because really? one of the things that happens as we age is we lose production of nitric oxide. And just for the cardiovascular system, nitric oxide is what keeps – the the arteries pliable it allows them to rebound and stretch and and you know as we get older those things stiffen up and you don't get as good a blood flow and cialis 
replaces that and it's not exactly sure you know we're not, not exactly sure if cialis mimics the uh effect of nitric oxide or if it actually replenishes it but um cialis gives you that exact same effect in the vascular system so um you know i haven't looked into the research on that one but i have heard a couple of people mention it and i think it's because it has a nitric oxide effect and right. you know one of the reasons why infants don't die from coronavirus is because a newborn infant makes as much nitric oxide hmm. as an adult and yeah. the nitric oxide is a big difference it really helps them get over that so is so with things that you said with the vitamin c vitamin d and the nitric oxide are they using that as a form of treatment or is this just they, kind of a they should be should, so you're saying there should be okay. oh yeah you know and you've seen it in tv with with the um you know with the um hydroxychloroquine you know that's plaquenil i've got 200 patients that are taking that already for rheumatoid arthritis and yeah. you know other autoimmune diseases i've never seen anybody have a serious side effect from that they exist but you know I've never seen it. Um, so when they say, oh, well, they've got unproven side effects or it's not approved for this use, you know, what's the alternative? Death? Right. Yeah. You know, somebody that's going right. to get, gonna get um, ARDS and end up in the ICU, even if they're not going to die, you spend 10 days in the ICU on a ventilator, it's going to take you two years to recover from that. And yeah. what's, you know, hydroxychloroquine is going to give you a headache or nausea. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and that works fantastic. Um, a good friend of mine, um, Dr. Robin Armstrong, who uh, went to medical school with, um, there was just um, there was just an article on him in Rolling Stone magazine because uh, he had 39 elderly patients in a nursing home in Houston that he started on hydroxychloroquine and, and Zithromax, and all 39 of them recovered. However, mm. he also happens to be the the former vice chairman of the Republican Party in Texas. And so Rolling Stone said, oh, he used his his GOP connections to get this toxic drug that President Trump wants everybody to take and gave it to all these nursing home patients without them knowing it. And he didn't, but 39 of them all recovered from the yeah. coronavirus after using this medicine. And it works. Um, but, you know, we use off-label medicines all the time. Blood pressure medicines, we use them for stage fright, we use them for headaches. You know, there's there's certain antidepressants they use to improve different sexual issues. None of that stuff's FDA approved, but doctors do off-label use of medications every day. Mm -hmm. And these vitamins are the same thing. They work great, but nobody's pushing them because nobody's going to patent them and make money off of them. Yeah. Huh. That's why they're pushing new drugs. They're pushing, you know, research on vaccines because uh, somebody's going to make a chunk of change off of that. Off the vaccine. Right. right. So... Big pharma comes into play. Certainly. Yeah. So what do you, so I know you yeah. talk, let's talk about the, like you say, the risk. So where does the risk reward come from in uh, treating a certain disease uh, virus with this, we know with different types of medicine and different, who makes the ultimate, I guess, decision is what's the optimal treatment someone should give a patient. Is that per doctor or is it kind of like, well, in, in work? hospitals have formularies, hospitals have restrictions. If you're treating patients in the hospital, um, you know, there's an ethics committee. There are, okay. you know, there are chiefs of each um, of each specialty that that are elected or appointed, and you know, it has to go through committees and and all of that. And so, in the hospital, certainly, you know, somebody's going to question you. Somebody's going to want a reason. Um, there has to be a you know a favorable risk um, benefit ratio. Um, 
in a private office like mine, you know, the, the way the FDA um, says this is every medication that is FDA approved for one use can be used in, in the, um, the term is off-label, can be okay. used off-label for any other use as long as, and there's a list of things, as long as it has a favorable risk-benefit ratio, as long as there's scientific, um, some type of scientific evidence to say that, you know, it's a reasonably good treatment with, you know, a reasonably low risk of severe complications. And, and each individual doctor makes that decision. Okay. Uh, there was actually a review in um, a law journal probably 12 years ago, and I've got that here somewhere, but um, that, it, and it was actually a, an unfavorable um, paper. It was made to try to limit um, off-label use of drugs, but they said in that, that it is legal, it is ethical, it is moral for any doctor to use any FDA-approved drug for any purpose, as long as they have a good, reasonable um, suspicion that it's going to work well and not cause harm. Um, and then there was another uh, paper done in one of the uh, endocrinology journals that said that that there's not a, and, and this is just common sense, but, you know, in medicine, there has to be a research paper to say it or nobody understands it. Um, <laughs> but it says that there is not any difference between the side effects that you get from a medication when it's used off-label than if it was used on-label. Hmm. And I always laugh at that one when I'm teaching. I say, so, you know, if you use Prozac for depression, you get one set of side effects. And if you use it for erectile dysfunction or something, you get a totally different set of side effects. That doesn't happen. It's the same side effect every time you use it, no matter what you're using it for. And so when they talk about hydroxychloroquine being, um, you know, being not approved for this use and, and, you know, these horrible doctors are using it, you know, and they're going to hurt these patients. No, nobody, nobody bats an eye when they use it for rheumatoid arthritis. So it's kind of like you're saying a turn of phrase. So for layman's term, you're saying if you get the side effects, it's the same for no matter what you're using it for is what you're saying. Correct. Okay. So why did, so what is this bureaucracy coming to play? Like, why does it, why is it limited for one thing, but allowed to use for something else? If we, if you know, as a doctor, it works or if doctors know it'll work for that. Well, in, in Texas, hydroxychloroquine has been limited by the pharmacy board. Okay. And this is an odd one. The pharmacy board now uh, has taken over um, like controlling um, narcotic prescriptions and things like that that used to be in the hands of the DEA, or it was the DPS. Um, and the pharmacy board came out and restricted hydroxychloroquine, chloroquine, and Zithromax temporarily. And it was to make sure that we didn't deplete the supply. Mm, and what okay. they said was, you know, it can, and, and when they restricted it, I can write all the prescriptions for it. I want the pharmacy board has no recourse over physicians. The pharmacy board has no, um, you know, they don't have the power of, of any law. What their recourse is, is restricting licenses of pharmacists. Okay. And so, but the pharmacy board says these are restricted. So I can write all the prescriptions I want, but the pharmacist can only fill it if it's for a patient that had a pre-existing condition prior to, I think it's January 15th, um, like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or some other thing that is approved an approved use for hydroxychloroquine, and they have been taking the, the prescription in an ongoing manner for that condition, then it can be okay. refilled. 
and otherwise um, all new prescriptions have to be for an FDA approved reason, which mm. totally takes the coronavirus out of it. Yes. And, uh, but I think they're doing that. So we don't, you know, everybody doesn't go to their doctor. I've, I've gotten 150 requests. Can I just have a prescription for that? No, you can't just have a prescription. For that. Well, you can, but yeah. you know, you might want to use it if you can't find toilet paper because yeah. um, the pharmacy <laughs> isn't going to take it, but they're doing that. So, you know, the people that are on it, uh, we don't deplete their supply. We deplete supply for people who need it for the reasons they're taking it now. Right. And hospitals have their own formularies and they have their own pharmacies and their own supplies. And so if a hospital chooses to use that therapy, it can be used. Okay. Um, outside the hospital, it's kind of difficult to come by though. Hmm. So what is, so what is air hustle? How are they treating patients now who get the coronavirus? What is the main form of treatment now? Um, you know, I'm kind of, I, I'm kind of resistant to what's going on now a little bit because okay. they're, you know, they're treating it just like they would anything else. You know, the patient comes in and they assess them and say, Oh, they got low oxygen. Let's give them oxygen. Oh, they've got inflammation in their lungs. Let's give them steroids. Oh, mm -hmm. they've got, you know, and that's kind of what you do with a critical patient is you kind of put out the fires. The problem it's is that we've got so much good information now and so much good research that, you know, everybody wants to see these extensive placebo controlled double blind trials done in major institutions with, you know, certain number of patients and, you know, all of that. You can't do that with a virus that's only been around for six months. Yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not logistically, it's not feasible. Right. But when you've got, you know, 39 elderly nursing home patients that all recover from a virus that typically kills old people in three to five days. Yeah. Um, you've got reports out of, you know, these other countries and all that. I don't know why we're not jumping on it. And um, I think a lot of doctors are scared of it. Um, and I think it's because they're not informed. They haven't, you know, they've been busy. I'm one of the healthcare workers that's not busy. Yeah. I have time. I read about this every day. Sometimes, you know, six or eight hours a day, I'm reading about the coronavirus, reading research studies, looking at what's going on. And I've done, like I said, 15 webinars on this in the last three weeks or four weeks. I've talked to experts from all over the place. First webinar I did was with a virologist out of Stanford hmm. who has studied this virus you know, from top to bottom. And that was two months ago. Um, you know, so I've talked to some really good people and listened to them. And if all doctors had the opportunity to hear what I've heard, they may not be so scared of it. Scared of it. So you think it's just like a fear of lack of knowledge right now? Is, this, is that because it's just a new virus and we're just, everybody just in a reactive state? Yeah. And I think anybody who's got any, any, um, any experience with treating a patient in the hospital with this virus, which I don't, um, you know, when it first came out, I was with everybody else. Oh, this is just another flu virus. Yeah. You know, before I sat down and looked at the biochemistry of it. And if they bring them in and treat them like they've got flu pneumonia and they die faster than, you know, if, if the doctor feels like they might've died faster than if they wouldn't have done anything, then they, now all of a sudden they get started, they start getting scared of uh, trying all these different therapies because they don't know what to do and there's not any really good information coming down. Hmm. Oh. So uh, can we talk about testing a little bit? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I have one guy on here asking, uh, do you have access to a finger prick test? Oh, 
now see that just proves that Tyler does not know everything. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's and I was true. waiting for that. Um, he's close though i'll have him in about two weeks now here's the danger with all these tests i think they're all great idea Mm -hmm. again education get them in the wrong hands they're going to cause a lot more trouble than good and it's because the current swabs the nasal swabs we're using these are pcr tests uh polymerase chain reaction anybody who watches um Oh, gosh, what's that story I watched? Forensic Files has heard about polymerized chain reaction. That's what they mm-hmm. use for, uh, you know, to look at DNA in criminal cases. It's a very precise test that looks at very specific um, sequences of genes that are very specific to this virus. And they say, oh, here's the virus. But in order to be positive, they have to see the virus. The virus has yeah. to be there. They're actually looking at the virus. The fingerprint tests are antibody tests Hmm. and so as any and this is how i explain it typically to patients the way um the way antibodies work you go get the flu shot your body makes antibodies to the flu and when then when the flu comes around you've already got the defense to kill the flu Mm -hmm. so you want to make antibodies you can get antibodies from immunization you can get on antibodies from exposure and so these are antibody tests. So they tell you if your body has responded to the virus. And in order to respond to the virus, it has to be exposed to the virus. Um, now, here's the problem with that. Two different ways, because you're gonna, I'm going to see this, you know, I guarantee you we're going to see both of these scenarios. Um, everybody takes, you know, a certain amount of time to respond to the virus. Some people take longer to make antibodies, but there's a typically a a window where most people fall in. So if somebody comes in, no symptoms, and they've been exposed to someone a week ago, and they do the fingerprint test and the antibodies are negative, they're going to go, Oh, great. You don't have the virus. And they're going to go back to work and they're going to go visit their family and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And a week later, they're all going to be sick. Because there's a scenario that this person may be carrying this virus, and we know that people can be uh, asymptomatic for 7 to 14 days once they catch the virus. Yes. Well, I've seen one case study where they actually looked at, they knew the time that the guy had gotten infected, Mm -hmm. and they knew the time that he started showing symptoms, and they tested the antibodies. And on this, this one case study, um, from the day of infection, symptoms started on day seven. There's two antibodies, IgM and IgG. The M antibody is the early antibody. IgM became positive on day 14. So it was seven days after he showed symptoms. Hmm. IgG, which is the late antibody, came positive on day 13 i believe three days after igm what typically happens is i you know whenever you get exposed to a virus igm becomes positive stays up for a certain amount of time and then it goes away igg becomes positive and stays forever so you can usually look and go okay this person's got an igm antibody very early infection they've got igm and igg fairly early but not as early and if they have just igg and not igm it's an old infection and it could have been two weeks or it could have been 10 months ago or 10 years. And so when you're either going to have people that are coming in with negative tests that are infected, 
that haven't converted yet on antibodies that everybody's got this false sense of security that they are not infected or you could possibly have somebody come in with a positive IgM antibody and IgG antibody and be 14 days out and have had an asymptomatic infection and be over it. Hmm. And somebody goes, oh my gosh, you've got this and you need to be quarantined and they're over it. Oh. And if somebody really misunderstands this, that they got a positive IgG and they could be a month past it and somebody misunderstands it and goes, oh, you're positive. You have to be quarantined. Even well, you know, we have to have really, really, really precise um, answers on when these become positive, when they go away, and everybody needs to be educated because the last thing you need is, you know, an ER doctor or anybody else out there that sees a patient one time and goes, oh my gosh, this is positive and, just and, with it. and alarms everyone or somebody at a testing site that says you're negative, go on about your business. You're not going to infect somebody. And they're early in the, you know, so that they're not perfect. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, so, so one last question on the coronavirus, we switch subjects. So this whole a, a vaccine, you hear a lot of questions about a vaccine and when kind of, how long does it realistically take to develop a vaccine for something like this? Um, I don't know if you want to get me started too much on vaccines, um, <laughs> but um <laughs> you know, it all depends. Um, when this first came out, um, the, it, it was apparent, I saw plenty of evidence of this, but there, it was apparent that there was one company in the U.S. that had been working on a coronavirus vaccine since 2017. So mm -hmm. that might tell us something. But um, they're talking about one to two years to get it. Um, but again, they're talking about fast tracking it because we need it so bad. And somebody the other day said, you know, oh, gosh, we need to fast track this vaccine. And it may have to, you know, it can be risky because it may have to skip human trials so we can get it in circulation faster. Most vaccines we give to our kids were not tested in human trials before really? they went out. So, um, but that's for another discussion. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned about anybody that wants to vaccinate everybody in the world. Um you know, who knows? We may, you know, it may be something we need to do, but I don't think we're going to see a vaccine for, you know, minimally six or eight months, but I'm thinking a year or more. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, man, so any before any more parting, any parting thoughts or what can people do to kind of help themselves out during this whole pandemic and stay safe? What are some key things you will tell people out there to do? Besides okay. the obvious in regards to just staying away from everybody else locked into their house, because, you know, right. we live in a real world where some people have to go to work. Some people, you have to go to the stores to get supplies for ourselves. So what's, what's the best way to protect ourselves? So my biggest pet peeve now is when um, I see somebody with a mask and gloves on <laughs> um, healthcare workers. Great. I saw a lady at um, that was working the checkout at Walmart that had probably been wearing that mask and gloves for several hours. And after she wiped down all of her stuff and handled all of the groceries in front of me and then wiped down her stuff again and handled all my groceries, she grabbed the receipt and handed it to me with her gloved hand. And I said, no, throw that away. I don't want that. <laughs> um, because gloves will protect you, but, but, when you get a false sense of security and you start touching everything in the world, you're just passing that on to everybody. And that's the reason, yeah. you know, that's the reason we don't want contact anyway. 
And then every single person I see wearing a mask is constantly doing this and they're constantly adjusting the mask and then they move it and they touch the inside of it and then they put it back on their face. Now, if you had virus on your hands, it's clock right here. So, and so they contaminate themselves, right? If somebody doesn't cough on you from three feet away, you're not going to get it. Um, a cough from six feet away is going to hit the floor. This is not an airborne virus like, uh, like the TB bacteria. Um, this is a virus that contaminates by contact and by droplets. And so really no need for a mask unless you're around someone who's constantly coughing or somebody that's infected but then you really have to 100% resist that urge to touch your mask and touch your face. Wash your hands, don't touch your face, you'll never get this. It's yeah. all transmitted by contact. And if somebody who's infected wipes their mouth and then they touch a book and then that book sits there and somebody else picks it up and sets it down and that person touches a countertop and then the third person comes by and touches that countertop, you, you know, everybody that touches that from now on is gonna be infected. Um, yeah. and so if you wash your hands and don't touch your face and you can touch it all day long, you can touch your hands, you can touch your arms, you can get the virus all over, all over your clothes. If you don't yeah. get it in your eyes, nose or mouth, you're not going to catch it. Huh. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. You'll be fine. So that whole, uh, yeah. so that whole six feet for within 15 minutes rule is kind of the main, one of the biggest things that applies to all this is what you're saying. And that's only if somebody's coughing or sneezing. Okay. So if I'm just they, having a get in your face and if they're, as long as they're not spitting when they talk, you know, that's not something you have to worry about. Just wash your hands and don't touch your face. So I know this might be outside of, so where can people really get like some real information on this stuff outside of what we get from what the media is putting out there? Where can somebody find some, like some realistic information that they can know, you know, like the facts of what to do to prevent this stuff instead of relying on what their friend tells them on Facebook hmm. or resource. I don't know of one really good place. Um, I can send you links to post of okay, a couple of things good. that are really good. Um, you know, as, and as far as, as supplements, you know, I see, saw a, a friend of mine on Facebook today, this antiviral supplement that her doctor gave her great for the flu, great for herpes viruses, isn't going to do a thing for this. Um, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D are the big three and vitamin C oral ascorbic acid looks like it's the best form of vitamin C for this to prevent it and to treat it better than IV vitamin C because there's, there's something in the biochemistry of that that isn't quite as good. Um, but I, I tell everybody to take between two and 4,000 milligrams of vitamin C every day, 20,000 units of vitamin D and hundred milligrams of zinc every day for prevention. If you start getting symptoms, crank that C up, to a thousand milligrams every 20 minutes all day long. Okay. And it, as much as you can tolerate, um, the zinc at, at hundred is fine. Uh, the vitamin D at 20,000 is fine. Um, uh, in South Korea, they were using 50,000. Um, but just as much vitamin C as you can pump in your body. And there is a specific biochemical process that that vitamin C uses to stop viral replication and to stop the invasion. And one of the things is vitamin C is your number one thing that you're going to use to regenerate nitric oxide. Really? And how much, what was the number you said for vitamin C again? 4,000? Yeah, I do 4,000 for, um, for prevention. Okay. And, and if you get symptoms as much as you can take. 
So I owe my wife a huge apology because when it's all this first started, the first thing she did, I would always find vitamin C packets in my uh, work shirt. She said, you need to take this vitamin C, down this vitamin C. So I owe her a dear apology if she's listening to it, wife. So. And, and the other thing I've noticed is since I've been very consistent with my C and my zinc and my vitamin D, man, I feel a lot better than I have. So it, yeah. it taught me that, um, you know, if, if you get on a good supplement regimen, sticking to it makes a difference too. So. Man, I've taken uh, I've taken zinc every day for the last uh, probably three or four years, and here right before all this broke loose, I ran out. <laughs> go to the go to the store go to the store and try to find some right now. Right, it's yeah, tough. You well, you know that you know that's how it always works. That mm-hmm. how it always works. So I think that's the uh, perfect segue into our next topic when we're talking about. Uh, so you said you, you I don't want to say you specialize or you focus a lot on uh, preventative medicine. Kind of explain to people what do you mean by that and what does that term actually entails? Preventive medicine? Yeah. Um, well, depends on who you ask, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and how they were trained. Preventive medicine in standard, the, the standard medical world, the mainstream world, is learning to spot risk factors and learning to treat early. Okay. Um, I don't want to treat at all. You know, health is a continuum. In in mainstream medicine, we are taught to treat disease. We're we're taught to fix what's broken. Mm -hmm. And if you have somebody that's sitting in the middle of the curve that does not currently have active disease and does not currently have symptoms of active disease, they're considered healthy. Um, But the continuum also goes the other way to optimization. You don't want to be in the middle where you have no symptoms. We want to constantly and consistently improve our health for outcomes. And so optimization, you know, you can have a, a sedentary person that's 20, 30, 40 pounds overweight that doesn't have any infections, doesn't have diabetes, doesn't have any of the, you know, bad stuff you might find on your labs. Yeah. Um, they feel well generally. They've got a crappy uh, standard American diet. And um, in mainstream medicine, they're considered healthy. In optimization medicine, they're considered the next victim for mainstream medicine. Hmm. You know, you exercise, you get your, you get your um, insulin resistance. Everybody has insulin resistance if they're not exercising and dieting. You get your insulin resistance gone, you get lean, you fix your diet, you supplement with the things that you need and continually improve your health, sleep, you know, get rid of stress, get rid of anxiety, you know, and just get on this improvement journey. So you never have to be that victim of mainstream medicine where somebody who's trained really well in fixing disease is now your specialist. So, so why in society now you think is that so hard for people to really grasp and understand like the prevention side of it where we just like people jump I've talked to people where they be like you know I hear people say especially in my line of work where I work a lot of guys are just be like hey you're gonna die anyway so you might as well enjoy your life or why are you doing all that yeah. exercise and why are you doing this so when does that mindset come into play is that just how we at the culture now or just the availability of food is not as healthy as it was before or you know who was it that posted something it was about a year ago and said that we used to think that some people's problem was because they weren't informed mm-hmm. 
and now in the age of the internet, we know that that's absolutely not the case. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> they're and they're no brighter, right? Yeah. Um, but I think the problem is there's too much information, too and much bad information, and you know a scenario that's going to make this um, clear. Um, and Thad knows, you know, you come to my office, I'm going to be pushing vitamin D on you. Um, everybody's yeah. vitamin D deficient. There are a lot of benefits of keeping your vitamin D in the upper part of the range, not just in the sad part of the range. Um, I put everybody on vitamin D. I typically put people on a minimum of 10,000 units of vitamin D a day. Um, the U.S. recommended daily allowance of vitamin D is 400 units a day, and that helps no one. Um, but I can talk somebody into 10,000 units of vitamin D a day, and it doesn't matter how, how good they feel what it's done for them, how much it's improved them, that when they go see, you know, if it's a female, she goes and sees her gynecologist or some guy, you know, twists his ankle and sees an orthopedic surgeon or somebody, and they go, why are you taking that much D? Well, my doctor said, well, oh, yeah, you shouldn't take that. That's too much. The recommended daily allowance is 400. That's going to hurt you. Don't take that. Well, mm -hmm. that's coming completely from an uninformed opinion, but here's somebody with expert status that's another physician and they go, Oh crap, maybe I shouldn't do that. And, you know, so a lot of what we do, and when I say we, you know, all three of us and everybody who's listening, you know, when we read and learn and try to do better than yeah. just disease free, the people who are trained in treating sick people don't understand the benefit because in the population of sick people that they treat, they don't see the improvements you get from those things that keep you out of that population. Got you. Got you. And got so you. there's so much, you know, and I say bad information is bad for me because it gives me more work because I have to explain it again. But, <laughs> um, you know, there are really high-level, well-respected experts in their field who think I'm absolutely crazy <clears throat> in a lot of the things I do. Um, my patients don't. No. Like, just to be honest, transparent, me and Thad come to you as a doctor. Now. <clears throat> Very good information. And that's, and that's one thing he says, like, you do your blood work, look at it. You take, you know, everything that I've been on, the vitamin D, the testosterone, man, I'm, I tell people, I'm, look, look at me. I'm living good. I sleep mm -hmm. well. I'm stress-free. Mm -hmm. I'm healthy. I still got a decent amount of hair on my head. And <laughs> you know, I got hey, too much. Anybody know a barber? <laughs> no, but that's the thing. People look at guys like me and Thad and be like, man, how y'all? And like yourself, like, man, how y'all look so young? What are you doing? How you able to take care of yourself? Because I'm into pre the whole preventative side of things like that. I right. you know, take advice from you, look at all the research, take this, try this out. So people are afraid to try out that type of stuff, but they're quick to go to their doctor just to get the high blood pressure medication and not do the safe stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and, I, and I, I had a cow about a month ago and told everybody in my office, all my employees, I said, I'm going to have giant posters made <laughs> for every room that say, if you're not taking your vitamin D, don't complain to me about anything. <laughs> because I've preached this for 10 or 15 years. And... I see the improvements with it in fatigue in the ability to maintain weight. I see cholesterol numbers drop 70 points. When people get on the right vitamin D, I see blood sugar levels go back to normal. I see people who thought that they needed thyroid don't need thyroid because their vitamin D got mm. them their energy back. 
and everybody takes it for a while and then there's something magic about that word vitamin and they stop taking it but man they'll right. take their cholesterol medicine their blood pressure medicine yeah, they'll take they'll all that they take all that stuff but any of the supplements it's just you know it just falls by the wayside and it just gets frustrating after a while and you know at a time there's there's a time that i get to the point where if i've told somebody three or four times hey you know you're not taking your vitamin d did you think about that you got better last time you took that i don't i don't mention it anymore at some point right. i back off from that but but yeah that is frustrating because we have the wrong mindset we're taught that these over-the-counter things are just you know they're weak they're not real you know they're not as powerful as drugs um i had a guy call the other day his wife's got coronavirus he's worried about catching it and i gave him my list of supplements and i told him i said if you take this and you catch it you're barely going to know it. <laughs> and he called five times in one day demanding a prescription for hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> and I said, take your vitamin D because if you take the correct, I mean, I'm sorry, C, take your vitamin C because if you take the correct doses of that, it works by the exact same mechanism as hydroxychloroquine yes. and it works better. But he didn't, he, no, I want the prescription. It's just, okay. we just program that way. Right. Right. And you know, I've said this a thousand times too. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of sad that a lot of places I go and uh, a lot of things I do, I, I get con considered to be the weird guy by taking the supplements that I take and eating the food that I eat. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's just silly sometimes. I got into I don't want to I got into an argument with someone that was like, why you want to take all that? That's harmful for your body. I say, but you're taking you eat McDonald's every day and taking over the counter and taking medications. So who's right. I like it says just we were just programmed that way, you know what I'm saying now. So how can we shift that culture to think that way? <laughs> I know as I know you say you get frustrated as a doctor. I'm pretty sure you do. I don't know. Um <clears throat> now I don't you all know Dr. Jeffrey Life, right? Uh, no, I don't. Not for oh, me. Just a friend of mine. You've seen the Cenogenics uh, advertisements. Um, the the eighty year old guy with the ripped body. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. He's yeah. eighty one now. He's fantastic. I saw a picture of him today in his home gym. Uh, he's a great guy. But he he has said that every bite of food you put in your mouth will e it will either help you or harm you. True. You know, it, it will either make you healthier or it will make you sicker because it's all input and right. you know if you can get people to think about that then that <clears throat> you know that's you know that kind of gives them something to you know to kind of work with it's like okay what is this doing to me right you know right now it's gonna make it's making me smile because it's you know it's, it's, it's creamy and sweet and, you know give me a sugar high but what's it doing to my body and uh if we can get people to look at everything as an input and everything, everything you input has a consequence. Exactly. Um, and and that's something I struggle with too, because I always, you know, this is a little bit of a different subject, but I see people all the time when I tell them something, well, is it natural? I don't know. What do you mean by natural? Yeah. You know, I look at everything as an input. If somebody has makes a synthetic that is the exact same molecule as the natural, and when it goes in your body, your body reacts to it the exactly same, way. same way that it reacts to the natural. And if the natural has something in it that may or may not be as desirable, um, you know, then the, the synthetic might be better. But I look at everything as an input. That's a good way. And, what, and what is it bringing with it? 
Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I have a saying whenever people come to me for, uh, for advice, they want to get fit or they want to lose weight. And the first thing I tell them every single time is it starts with the fork. Right. Hey, can I answer this question right here? Yeah, go ahead. So, um, Lori, friend of mine said, what do you think about selenium? Yeah. Um, this is important too. I mentioned selenium. Uh, this is extremely interesting. You know, I'm, I'm, and I just, this is something that y'all might find, find interesting. I mentioned that vitamin C when you get sick gets used up. There was an interesting big, um, study that was done in one of the critical care journals in 2017, where a bunch of critical care docs looked at critically ill patients with systemic inflammation, which was either ARDS, we talked about that in the lungs, or uh, I think, what did they call this? It was an old name for it. It was a, a systemic inflammatory disorder. Uh, we used to call it DIC, I think, but um, where they had just profound, severe system-wide inflammation. And it turns out that the people, that most people are not selenium deficient to begin with. However, when you get the inflammatory cascade, it uses up the selenium very quickly. Mm. And what they found in this, in this study of these ICU patients was that patients who had their selenium replaced so they did not continue to be deficient, almost 100% lived through systemic inflammation. And patients who had depleted selenium that did not get replaced, almost 100% died from systemic inflammation. So selenium mm. is extremely important, and it does get re it does get used up like vitamin C does when you have inflammation. So you, even if you don't have to replace it daily when you're well, um, and that's one of the you know one of the minor ones I've got on my list, but it's one of the things I have on my list that I tell people if you get sick with this virus, you should probably take this. Hmm. It's a very good question, Lori. Very good. Yeah. I've never, I've actually never, it's my first time hearing that term selenium before. So. Yeah, selenium actually is a cofactor for um, CoQ10 also. People okay. who are selenium deficient um, don't absor absorb and use CoQ10 appropriately. Oh, and okay. so, um, you know, if you become selenium deficient, you can't use that molecule, which is, that's extremely uh, important. Selenium is also a cofactor in what I call post-production thyroid function. Once you make thyroid hormone, mm -hmm. your body doesn't always use it correctly. And if you don't have selenium, that's one of the things that, that uh, affects your use of thyroid. Um, selenium is a great supplement. Hmm. So how would one be able to tell if they're deficient in these particular vitamins and uh, minerals? Is that something a doctor normally would just run or do you have to specifically ask for a certain type of uh, panel? Because I get that question yeah. a lot. Now, that's extremely difficult, too. <laughs> Excuse me. Most doctors, if you, if you say something to them about selenium, uh, you might as well be speaking Chinese. Um, <laughs> even wellness doctors, you know, they're going to know what, why, you, why you need selenium, what to take, all of that. But the testing is different. When you get into these um, micronutrients or these trace elements, um, there are some specialty labs out there. Um, I can't remember the one I used to use, mm -hmm. um, but there are some specialty labs out there that, that measure these things and give some pretty good, um, 
some pretty good uh, panels of what you need and what you don't need. Um, but the other thing is, for example, zinc. You can yeah. get zinc, a, a zinc test from any lab. Okay. The problem is that most labs check zinc in the serum. And you really need to see how much zinc is in your cells. And there's a special test where they check and, and measure how much zinc is in your red blood cells to okay. see how much is getting in your cells. Same thing with magnesium. If you have a deficient a deficient level, and you can get that from any lab also, but if your magnesium is deficient, you're definitely deficient. If your magnesium is not deficient, you don't know because hmm. that's just what's floating around in the serum. You don't know if it's getting in the cells. And I've okay. seen many, many patients that have a lot of magnesium deficiency symptoms, leg cramps, muscle fatigability, poor sleep, and their magnesium is fine. And when you supplement them with magnesium, they get better. Okay. So there aren't many of these things that you can get toxic on. Mm -hmm. um, very few of these things can you get toxic on. And so um, a lot of times if somebody appears to need something, I'll just tell them to start taking it and see how when they do. Say, when we say toxic, what do you mean by toxic? Just like taking too much of the particular vitamin or? Yeah. Um, you know, beta carotene. There were some studies back then, uh, probably 20 years ago, showing that people who take excessive amounts of beta carotene, uh, it increases their risk for colon cancer. Okay. Uh, you know, but there, you have to take a lot of it. Um, you know, I used to think there was a problem with vitamin A, but um, I, one of my colleagues is using thousands and thousands and thousands of milligrams of vitamin A IV in his patients for some, um, for some disorders, and he's having no problems with it. Okay. So, um, you know, you really can't overdo most of these vitamins. Okay. So is a 80 K vitamin the same as a straight vitamin D or is that something different? Well, you know, how to push them buttons, don't you? <laughs> okay. So I, I lecture for, and am associated with a company that one of their products is 80 K. Mm -hmm. Um, I use large doses of vitamin D. I've never seen, I personally have never seen a reason to use A or K with vitamin D. Some studies, some sources say that you need adequate vitamin K to absorb vitamin D. Mm -hmm. I've never had a problem with that. I have a couple of patients that I have a really difficult time getting their D up. I started them on vitamin K, didn't see a real big difference with it. But the science is there that says you need vitamin K to absorb vitamin D. I just have clinically never seen that. Okay. Um, some sources say that A is needed for healthy metabolism of vitamin D. So once you get it, you can use it and you don't waste it and it's metabolized correctly. Um, again, I've never used it in clinical practice in that manner. The science is there, but I've never seen a problem. I've never seen vitamin D toxicity. I've got, I've taken, I take 30,000 units of vitamin D every day. I've done it for years. Hmm. Um, I'm not toxic. Um, I've never seen anybody toxic on vitamin D. The toxicity studies on vitamin D are rare. And in the studies, you know, the range is 30 to 100. In the studies, all signs of vitamin D toxicity disappear at levels below 400. Hmm. And so if 100 is the top of the range and 400 is where you're toxic, what happens in between there? I keep mine around 200. Yeah. Um, and I'm not toxic. So, you know, ADK uh, on paper, it, it's a good idea. Um, but I've never really clinically seen the need for it. Okay, good. I didn't mean to. <laughs> what about. <laughs> no, but that's funny because I get that from 
you know, it's like, hey, you need to push ADK. Okay, but that's fine. <laughs> clinically, you know, on paper, uh, it looks good. But clinically, I don't know. You know, I can get a lot cheaper if I go to the vitamin shop and get high dose uh, vitamin D for 10 bucks a month. Okay. Right. What about this question down here? Uh, Mike uh, Burkett wrote in. Is getting vitamin D from sunlight more effective or better in some ways than supplements? Um, I don't know. <laughs> the, the, um, Good answer. The the pathway is the same. Okay. You know, if you supplement vitamin D or if you, and you still need some sunlight to convert the vitamin D that you take as a supplement. That doesn't take quite as much. Um, the problem is in order to get a vitamin D level, where you need it which is you know i said 30 to 100 i like to see it absolutely above 50 i really prefer it above 80 you have to spend an hour in the sun naked every day <laughs> 365 days a year to maintain that level because vitamin d once it's activated disappears after 24 hours hmm. and so at the most 48 hours. And so if you go to the beach for a week, your vitamin D is going to be great. You go back to work for two days, it goes right back down. And if you want to, you know, dedicate yourself to that much time in the sun and believe it or not, people who have good diets don't sunburn. Hmm. Uh, if you want to spend that much time in the sun, that's great. But, and, and I always prefer, would prefer that over a supplement. However, nobody can do that. Yeah. You just can't do it and get the same levels. So since we're on that question, I'll just ask this. So me being a darker skin complected guy, more melanin in my skin, does that affect the amount of vitamin D that I actually absorb from the sunlight? Yes. And again, okay. when we talked about the coronavirus, you know, everybody's talking about the racist coronavirus because it kills more black people. Yeah. Um, but you know why? Because you don't make vitamin D. Well, let me you need more that. vitamin D. Um the the standard levels i see in patients um you know caucasian patients typically 25 20 to 30 that's where they are they're all deficient but 25 some people are around mm -hmm. 15 but 20 25 african americans 12 i've seen them as low as two really on vitamin D levels because the the mechanism in your skin that produces vitamin d is closer to the mechanism that produces a sunburn mm. than a suntan. And so, you know, patients that are, and I know at some point, one of these weeks, you're all, you're all going to talk about peptides, but people who are taking melanotan and, you know, to get that, that peptide tan where they don't have to go out in the sun, hmm. they don't make vitamin D. Really? Right. Cause it protects hmm. the skin. Hmm. So that's interesting. That's a, that's a, I didn't ever, I've never thought about it that way. So, it's, it's good. It's a good answer. My wife had uh had posed that question to me and we kind of made relation to it being like, you know, the propensity to having the type of diet, the diet type two diabetes. But we didn't didn't even think about the whole vitamin D aspect of it, though. Right. Very good information. And, and you know how and if people if I really want to push the aspect of how important it is, just, you know, just look at it in a in an adaptation light. Um, Where do people live you know like before we had world travel mm -hmm. people who live farther away from the equator blonde blue-eyed light-skinned you know people from norway sweden 
people who live closer to the equator, dark eyes, dark skin, dark hair. Mm-hmm. Because, and I think that was an adaptation when you get farther away from yeah. the equator, you have less sun. Vitamin D is so important that these people over centuries adapted to where they could absorb more vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And if they couldn't, they didn't survive. That's true. That's 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 very good. That makes all, sense. It may not makes a lot, but like and like you say, this is general information. When you break it down like that, it makes tons of sense. It's is cut and dry. Like everybody's not the same. We have different mechanisms in our body because genetically we're different and things react differently. Right. Good stuff. So I know we man, we up against some we. That said, this was gonna be episode. What Tom's gonna to, uh, Tom's gonna to pass by real quick. But I'll be remiss if I didn't bring up one of my favorite topics. One thing I don't say I like to push on people, but one thing I know me and Thad talk about a lot of times, and one thing I talk about with guys my age who you know have certain issues or suffering with certain things is uh, hormone replacement therapy, specifically around uh, testosterone. What are some of the, what are some benefits with that real briefly? We're not going to get too deep because apparently we're going to have to have a part two of this to go take a deeper dive, but just real surface level. What are some benefits for a guy who has low testosterone when you get to that age? Don't you know that testosterone will give you heart disease and cancer and will kill you? <laughs> I didn't again, know again, the information that my patients get from the other side after I counsel them for hours, um, you know, testosterone replacement, here's the biggest Here's the biggest thing that people can take away from this. Testosterone replacement is not the same as anabolic steroids. Mm-hmm. Every single bad thing that doctors come up with about testosterone is all based on studies on anabolic steroids. Synthetics, veterinary testosterone. Um, you know, you get these guys that have testosterone levels of 20,000. Um, you know, we can get into aromatase inhibitors next time, but you know, when you mm-hmm. drive your testosterone through the roof and you're driving your estrogen to nothing and, you know, doing all this unnatural stuff and all of those studies that show harm come from that. Hmm. When you do testosterone replacement and you bring your testosterone to the upper part of normal for a young man, you're going to get nothing but benefit. We see reduction in heart disease every time. We see patients, elderly patients with congestive heart failure um, get improvement in cardiac function. You lose visceral fat. You lower insulin resistance. You increase lean muscle mass. Um, All of that is healthy. You reduce, there's new studies now looking at testosterone as reducing risk for prostate cancer. We've known that guys with high testosterone, if they get a prostate cancer, They're not going to get more than guys with low testosterone are. That's something called the saturation theory. We can talk about that. But um, if someone with high testosterone gets a prostate cancer, it's always a lower grade cancer than somebody who's testosterone deficient. And when we get into aromatase inhibitors, that's because of the conversion of testosterone to estrogen and estrogen is toxic to prostate cancer cells. And um, so testosterone is always good when it's physiologic, when it's replacement, and when it's upper normal or slightly super physiologic from what's normal for a young man, it's always beneficial. When you go three or four times that, that's when you start having problems or when you start you know, putting synthetics in your body that have, that have toxic metabolites. 
It's not the testosterone that causes those problems. Right. And I've always thought, I mean, through my, my past experiences and I've been, I've been dealing with this stuff for a, for a pretty long time, um, that having just low testosterone is way, way worse than supplementing for it. That, oh, absolutely. That's, yeah, you know, I, uh, I had a conversation with a guy yesterday, 36 years old, not certainly not too young to be considering testosterone. And he was one that had come in and saw me, you know, six months ago, he had borderline low testosterone. He had a lot of symptoms of it. Um, we did other things. Um, a good friend of mine, Dr. Rob Kamenarik, you may know him. Uh, he does a lot of stuff on Jay Campbell's podcast. But Rob, his specialty is he does his best to raise testosterone without using testosterone. Mm-hmm. And about a third of the time, no matter, and he's the best in the world at that. And about a third of the time, he still has to use it. And so this guy, I said, you know, you're in your 30s. Let's try some other things. And so we did some supplementation stuff, talked about diet, talked about exercise, you know, vitamin D sometimes will raise testosterone by a couple hundred points. And he came back in in three months and just wasn't, you know, he was up a hundred points, still wasn't feeling a lot better. And he had borderline diabetes. He had a little bit of high cholesterol, you know, he was a little bit overweight. And I said, look, health wise, we got to fix your testosterone, you know, cause I don't play whack-a-mole. I don't give you testosterone or cholesterol medicine and blood sugar medicine and diet medicine and hypertension medicine, I fixed the problem. Yes. Said, We're going to have to fix your, your testosterone because even at your age of 36, um, nothing else I do is going to do as well as if we fix your testosterone. Hmm. I put him on testosterone three months later, saw him back. Everything is perfect. He's lost a bunch of weight. He's feeling fantastic. All of his levels are great. And he came in and he said, I don't know what to do. My wife said she doesn't want me on this. Yeah. Why does she not want you on this? Because, and she, her gynecologist or somebody said, that's bad. He's going to get cancer. He's going to get this. He's going to get that. Bad information. And, you know, I was, I had the, you know, all the research I was going to give him, you know, everything. And he said, I just don't think she's going to, you know, let me do this. And so this is the art of medicine. Mm -hmm. I said, well, let's do this. You know, the needle always looks worse <laughs> when you're yeah, injecting something, you know, cause that's what anabolics are. They're injected. So let's take that out of it. Because I, have a, together. I have a really good uh, compounded uh, transdermal testosterone. That I use in guys that'll get your level every bit as high as the injectables. Mm-hmm. And I said, let's switch you to the cream. I'll keep your level just as high. She doesn't have to know what your levels are and just say, okay, he took me off the injectable testosterone, but he's going to give me the cream. And, you know, and a lot of times people don't find that as offensive. And I've seen that in medicine too, you know, doctors, if you're shooting testosterone, oh my gosh, if you're taking the cream, it's like, yeah, whatever. And your levels are the same. And so we'll see what, what, what happens with that. But I'm really passionate about the health side of testosterone. You know, it's not just for sexual function and big muscles. Hmm. Um, That's, those are just unfortunate side effects. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you one thing. My wife was, my wife is extremely happy. I was on testosterone. So when, because I mean, because it made like when I started, my levels were low. I mean, I was in the two hundreds, and I was maybe, I think I started when I was about thirty five ish or whatever. And like I said, it varies from person to person. It's just different. But when I got on it, it was like immediate change in attitude. You know, just everything. I just felt like a better person. You know what I'm saying? I just felt like where I should be, 
as an active 35-year-old male, I felt like, well, I shouldn't be tired all the time. I shouldn't want to go home and go to sleep. But after workout, I feel like I could just lay down and go to sleep on the floor. So, right. so like you, you know, said, maybe, it's take, maybe it's going to take guys like me and Thad just keep speaking the good. And because I talk to my buddies about it, and I'm more open about it. I say, hey, go to your doctor, get your testosterone test. But then guys like, man, I don't know. It's going to do this or... I'm going to have this side effect. I say, man, stop making a correlation of steroids. Go get your blood work and talk right. to your doctor about it. Yeah, sadly, it's um, it's still a, a pretty much of a taboo subject with a lot of people. And it's just due to them not educating themselves on it as far as I'm concerned. Because um, I know what it's done for me and the, uh, the way I felt, you know, prior to – uh, getting on a regular uh, schedule, it was just, it, it was horrible, you know, uh, the, the, the roller coaster ride that you could go on oh, yeah. was just, uh, it's just not worth it, you know, to, to not do it. Yeah. Now, um, you know, the real benefit, and I hesitate to say this because I don't want to create lazy patients either. <laughs> Uh, but in my personal experience, you know, I'll, I'll be 55 years old next month. Um, when I was 47, um, I trained and got certified as um, as a trainer for Parisi Speed School. Mm -hmm. um, and I was training six days a week and I was eating impeccably. And, you know, my weight at that time was about 182 if I was exercising and dieting. Mm -hmm. If I would go on a cruise, on go on vacation for a week. I'd come back 10 or 15 pounds heavier and feel like crap. And that's all it took for me to bounce back to being very unhealthy. Yeah. And if I stopped working out for two months, I'd get up to 215 or 220 easily. And that mm. would take me three months to get it back off. Um, if I go to the gym, if I, go, if I drive by a gym once a month now and eat what I want, I weigh 182. <laughs> you know and so it does kind of take away some of the some of the motivation because if you stop you're going to look horrible um however it makes it so easy to maintain it yeah you know remember yeah. when you're a kid and it's like oh we're, go we're going to the beach this week so you go work out for two days to get your beach body yeah do some sit up when you're 35 and you go work out for two months to get that well you can do that again you know and so uh, it does really make everything a lot more youthful and it's a whole lot easier to control your weight it's a whole lot easier to maintain your health on a day-to-day -day basis without making it a full-time job. It's really good that way. And ultimately, what does everybody want to do? You want to live a longer and healthier life. Why not? Right. I mean, that's the ultimate goal for us all. So, you know, um, a lot of people are, uh, they'll see that needle and stuff and, and get, to, they're like, man, I'm not doing that. But uh, I've done a lot of uh, reading and I've, I've listened to a lot of podcasts and I saw, I heard these guys uh, talking about, um, just shooting it under the skin into the muscle these days what is is there anything to that yeah there's a lot of them that are doing that <clears throat> excuse me um there's uh there are ways to do it where it works really well and you can use the the plain injectable testosterone cypionate in oil just like you would shoot im um when you inject testosterone sub q uh you have to do it a certain way or you're going to hate it because mm. it causes knots Ooh. um i've got still have i think i still have one knot under the skin in my abdomen from when i shot at sub q a year ago um 
you have to and and um good friend of mine neil rusier who's done this for 50 years says if you shoot it under the skin in the lateral thigh and then put your thumb on it and massage it you'll have no problem whatsoever and some guys are doing sub Q every day. Some, some guys are doing sub Q every other day. Cause you know, you know, in oil, in a muscle, it'll slow release over a week in oil in the skin, under the skin. I think you can get by with every other day. And mm. so, you know, a, a little needle under the skin every other day versus a big one once a week, it just depends on, you know, Perfect. if you yeah. want to treat yourself every other day, or if you just really hate that big needle. I'm one uh, time, right. one time, Charlie, myself on Monday morning. <laughs> I, used to, I used to wake my wife up every morning at five o'clock, and she'll do it for me. So <laughs> I'm manned up, and I can do it on my own now. So good. <laughs> so so uh, yeah, what- sub Q does work. Some people like it, some people don't. I I don't prefer it. Um, it works well you. though. Cool, cool. Well, I think we into uh we didn't press in the overtime. Guess we're gonna have to uh save some of this for the next time that you come on in sure. next week or so, man. But yeah, we're gonna have to include the women. <clears throat> yeah, we didn't get yeah we didn't get too deep into the uh ladies. We'll give you guys your own separate show. How about that? Does that sound like uh? Yeah. Worker says, "What's up, doctor?" So. Exactly. So like I said, man, like you say, Doctor Wilgers is me and that that recommended me to Doctor Wilgers about uh two years ago. Been going to him ever since. Like you say, the proof. I always tell people the proof is in the pudding. It's in your blood work. Like I told you, I do all this great stuff, but hey, I can show you my blood work and let you see like what it's done for me beyond just me telling you what I'm doing and telling you things that I'm on. So, and like to say, I hope to continue to push the message of good doctors like you. That's what me and Thad we always preaching y'all good, uh, a good message about preventative medicine. Hey, let's try this beyond just going to the prescription medication all the time so let's try something different so yep and it there's no more fun than than taking care of patients that are motivated that want to do better and um it's 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 fun i love it yes yes so yep. man we really do uh, uh we really do appreciate your time and uh thank you for coming on with us today man we will yeah. we're definitely gonna have you back for part two for the ladies so very informative show probably one of our most uh Performing shows we didn't have in regards to actually just taking a deep dive into the whole optimizing your health and stuff. Like me and Thad talk about this all the time, but it's good to have you on to kind of help back up the information that we've been pushing for the past couple of years. So, uh oh, I guess I guess my kid's on here. Hey Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> he there showed he up. Oh, hey, there you go. So, any last any so just to review real quick, what are some uh, key vitamins that you that you need that the guys need to go out and get or kind of start taking? I know you said vitamin C, D. Are you talking about yeah. for the virus or just in general? Well, just in general, just for life in general. What are some good good well, kind of you vitamins? Know, in general, vitamin D, vitamin D, vitamin D, vitamin D. Ten thousand units, bare minimum every day. Like I said, I take thirty thousand units every day. Um, get a good quality vitamin D. Um, vitamin shop has it dirt cheap. It works great. Okay. Uh, don't go to Walgreens, Walmart. Don't buy vitamin D that's got other junk in it. Just okay. get a good quality vitamin D. Vitamin D three. Okay. Um, vitamin C is fantastic. Um, you know, with the virus, but I'm really, you know, vitamin C is one that I really neglected for a number of years because I take all these vitamins and you know, vitamin C is one of those like, oh yeah, drink your orange juice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really seeing a difference in how I feel after hammering vitamin C for the last month. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important also. Zinc, magnesium, magnesium glycinate or magnesium 3 and 8 at bedtime 
amazing sleep. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> amazing sleep. Um, better muscular endurance. You don't get as much muscle fatigue. Um, magnesium is another one that helps um, with post-production thyroid function. Helps your thyroid work better. Um, magnesium and zinc together in B6 uh, help with native testosterone production. Of course, if you're, mm. if you're injecting testosterone or got on testosterone supplementation, you're not making your own anyway. Um, but zinc, uh, magnesium, vitamin D, vitamin C, of course, selenium, CoQ10, those things. But those are really my top ones. Melatonin, loved melatonin. Melatonin's got anti-cancer properties. Really? Uh, there is a there is a mechanism where melatonin actually shuts off the inflammatory cascade of the virus. Hmm. Um, melatonin's a great another great drug. So supplement. Cool, cool. Good, good stuff, good stuff. And where can they, uh, where can people find you or reach you at or where's your uh, practice located at if you want to give out that information? Uh, I'm on College Street. Um, my new, which one? I just got, I got to think about my, my new URL because I got a new website. It's thewilgersclinic.com. Okay, and like you say, we'll have that link in the uh, post later on. So Dr. Wilgers is going to provide us with all the help, all the uh, links that you guys need and more information to uh, actually how to get in contact with in his uh, a new website. So once again, man, we appreciate you having us on and uh, thank you guys for listening to the show. Don't forget, we'll have this up on YouTube. You can find us at Masters of Fitness. Uh, also find us on Podbean, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. We'll have this show up. This is our 15th episode. Thank you guys for uh, watching out there and uh, like, share, and comment. Until next time.